Hi, my name is Janelle Engelstad, and welcome to the MAP Radio Hour, a Make Art with Purpose podcast. The MAP Radio Hour includes conversations with creatives, scientists, and other people addressing the intersection of cultural, political, and environmental concerns. You can find out more about MAP and our projects at makeartwithpurpose.net. studio in Santa Cruz, California. Newton and his wife, Helen Mayer Harrison, are pioneers in echo art. Our conversation began with a review of the Harrison's 1993 project, Serpentine Lattice. Let's talk about the Pacific Northwest again. We got into the Pacific Northwest issue when Reed College brought us up and asked what we wanted to do up there. And uh, we took up a Cessna 152 or something, as which we always did, and went flying to see what the landscape looked like. And it turns out that everything was cut down, was clear cut. And so they were even clear cutting the forests that were, they used to keep a 50 foot boundary on the roads. So people couldn't look, and they cut that down too. Right now, is this Oregon then, or was it? Did you go up into Washington? Uh, I, w- I w- ultimately went to Washington, but we started in Portland, mm-hmm. uh, where Reed College is, and uh, we just started going up and down and taking a look, and it became clear. Uh, so we went back and said, "Is it true that you let three or four big lumber companies cut down the Pacific Northwest in the last hundred years?" Yes, it's true. And uh, where are your great ecologists like Reed Norse? Well, they're doing with the hotspots. Well, I said, we all know that the hotspots can't stay hot because the perimeter fades back under the pressure of, of nothing to support it. So who's dealing with like 50,000 square miles of clear cut? Well, okay, there's 100,000 miles of stream and river there, and, uh, and who's dealing with that? It's not actually 100,000, but there's about 60 or 70,000 damaged. I mean, this is a, a massive, humongous thing you've done to yourselves, and nobody was. So when was this? This was 1991. So in 1991, Helen and I took it on ourselves to deal with, with the Pacific Northwest. And out of that grew the serpentine lattice. Yes. So we asked, well, what, what should we be doing here? Well, the first thing is to command the land. How would you do that? You would uh, buy the, the ridge line, right. and that's 2,000 miles. How, how would you get the money? We said, well, about two-thirds of that's public land. On top of that, since they've chopped all the wood up there, uh, it's only worth about $300 an acre max. So we did a quick calculation and said the whole damn thing cost less than $3 billion. In 91? Yeah, well, maybe $1 or $2 billion. I don't know what it would be now. Yeah. But the point was that if you could command the ridge line, then you had every mini watershed from uh, San Francisco to Yakutat Bay. And you could then prioritize and begin to 
learn from what was coming back and assist the migration of other species. And there were things like, uh, oh, the Sitka spruce, I think, which would never come back because the sun had dried out the nematodes, toads in the soil that, that assisted the, uh, it to germinate and stuff like that. So changes were afoot. And uh, once we laid it all out, and we made this, uh, it's on the website, uh, and we, you can project those, the death of it by looking at those pictures. Right. Um, on, on the wall, this made a 10-foot by 30-foot image, and actually people wept in front of it. But nobody was willing to take on such a thing. Yeah, 91 was so early in the climate change movement. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, certainly not, because it started decades before, but by in terms of how much awareness yeah. there really was outside of a dedicated few. Yeah. That's correct. We were in that dedicated few. Right. And the thing is that nobody in the arts was, but in, in other fields there was always a few people who got it. Old man Arrhenius in 1896, he's one of the great physicists, uh, figured this out, did the calculations by hand. took him four months to, to do all the addition to find out how much carbon would make the, the, the temperature rise. And I happen to know his uh, grandson, oh. Gustav, uh, and, and uh, his, their wife, we were, they was, he was at Scripps, and we were friends back at the UC when, in the early 70s. Uh -huh. Actually, uh, Roger Revelle named it the Greenhouse Effect, and he was at UC in the mid-50s when he named it. Yeah. I didn't know any of this at the time. I just did the carbon calculations myself and could see. <laughs> is the Pacific Northwest is a rainforest, and it's the only temperate rainforest in the world. That's correct. And it went, at one time it stretched from Alaska all through British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, down into Northern California. Correct. Mm -hmm. And the argument down here, the argument down here is did it stretch to San Francisco, or did it go all the way down to uh, Big Sur? Right. And uh, we concluded it did go to Big Sur. Right, um, with uh, sort of elegant, if you will, variations in the species. Yes. So you go from Sitka to Douglas fir, you know, yeah. and yeah. other species woven in, yeah. cedar, and then yeah. all the way down to redwoods. That's correct. That are, you know, varied because of the elevation and the temperature and the weather cycles. Except it was, it was called the Pacific Coast Fog Forest, and... What happened was that the adaptation that was so unique was it didn't have to rain because so many of the species there sucked up the fog. Right. Mm -hmm. Created so, its own weather. Yes. Yeah. So, you, know, you were talking about calculations about rehabbing and how much carbon would be sequestered if you rehabbed that ridgeline. Okay, here's the way you calculate that. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. Let's say there's 50,000 miles of cut forest. A single mile has 640 acres. Right. If it's rehabbed um, after its first secession, maybe 10, 15 years in, it begins to sequester two tons of carbon a year. So 640 
12, it's somewhere between 1,200 tons of carbon per square mile. Right. Well, if you multiply 50,000 times that, why then you start to pull in gigatons of carbon. Well, a gigaton of carbon drops the carbon one point. So the carbon's going up about 10 points a decade, more than that even. Well, if you rehab that, if you did that kind of rehabbing, in, in, then you would pull in, I'd have to do the calculation, but it can't be less than 10 or 15 gigatons of carbon a year. So that's how you can affect the carbon cycle and the carbon curve. Specific area. It, starts, it yes, starts to spread out and have a global you know, effect. Yes, right? and then of course we're creating an oxygen jet deficit mm -hmm. and that starts to pay back out. And at the same time, um, we have a sixth extinction coming along, and if we're able to bring the species back there, we can slow the sixth extinction. And so if you look at the Center for the Force Majeure, our group is dedicated not so much to climate change, but to slowing the sixth extinction, which means you have to deal with climate change. But there's a, um, a deeper issue here. And extinctions, we all know, they take uh, 10 million to 50 million years for the life web to regenerate. Right. Um, and if you read the end of our book, we go into the life web. If the life web had, had, had a voice, it would admit it made a mistake. Um, and we're it. Um, but seen in another way, um, if you ask yourself, can the life web teach us what to do under the circumstance? And the answer is yes, if you've got the money, and yes, if you've got the um, nerve. And that is, you study the glaciers. If you look at Europe, um, the glacier came in and knocked off a million square miles of uh, life. What was left? The bacteria and some seeds. 12,000 years it retreats, and in 12,000 years nature regenerates up to 70% of how complex it was. Well, now, if that's the case, the proper study can facilitate the return of species at a much greater rate. And that's what we did with Sage Hen on a tiny scale. Right. And uh, that's what we would like to take up in, in a big scale um, in something like the uh, Pacific Northwest. And everybody is running around doing rainforest stuff. But uh, why this isn't given the same priority as um, the rainforest in Guatemala, I don't know. Well, because people don't know it's a rainforest, number one. And I think it really has to do with the fact that a tropical rainforest is sexier than a temperate rainforest. Really? Well, I'll go to bed with a temperate one anytime. <laughs> yeah. My God. Yeah, me no, too. I, mean, I prefer that. No, but I mean it's true. There's something about you know if you even look at it historically, from an exploration point of view, 
there's something about going off into the the jungle and this this uh, the mythology around you know yeah, the right. Amazon and even if that's you true. go into East Asia, I think also it's more exotic. That's what well, it is. Of course it is. If you know, but just think, just think if somebody got this and funded it the way it should be funded, and we were able to start putting together the teams that need to be put together to do this, and we're starting to build a, a cadre of people who can. And the science for doing it is almost in place, in fragments all over the place. You have to do a, a synthesis. It's not that you have to do a lot of original science, I don't think. And so we're not looking at like 50 years of experimenting. Yeah. We're looking at, at two doing. or three what, what? At doing instead yeah. of experimenting. Yeah. Right. We're, we're looking at two or three years of research to find out what to do. And that the works. research costs are less, too, than they used to be. I mean, it's important, I think, to get in the Cessna now and take a look at it. But I was just at a conference with a scientist who studies glaciers. And she says she's going places she could never go before because of drones. I mean, it's a really good example of a positive use of drone technology. Sure. She's able to see glaciers now and measure glacier retreat at the tops of peaks uh, in Colorado and wow. that were, you know, inaccessible before. I mean, this actually goes to your point of it's the age we're coming into in order to address these issues, we're going to have to rely on old knowledge and old technology and new technology and combine and weave these two things to address these concerns. That's, That's right. Our saving the West does that. Right. Um, and and we, one would hardly claim originality. The originality is in the seeing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, because it's all there. Yeah. Uh, Although, like we, like at the Sage Hen, we had to do some original science, and here at the, we'll have to do some, and and up in the Tibetan Plateau, Tang Ya, who's our scientist there, will have to do some, but not much, not much. Um, they'll have to do measurements and see if certain speculations based upon good information. MAP Radio Hour is funded in part by the Lift Your Voice Advocacy Fund. Production by Matthew Horton, theme song and logo by Otto Huditz. I'm Janelle Engelstad. Thanks for listening. And visit the Make Art with Purpose website to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.